Hey, hey, it's your girl, Carla Renata, a.k.a. the Curvy Film Critic. Hobbs and Shaw has slid into the top spot at the box office with $181 million worldwide. I have that review for you and so much more. So sit tight and stay right there. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back this bright and fantabulous Sunday to the Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. I am your host, Carla Renata, and you have tuned into Black Hollywood Live. This is episode 71. So if you've never been here with us before, I need for you to do me a favor. And even if you have been here before, I need you to do me a favor. If you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, give me some thumbs up to let me know you like the content. If you didn't like it, let me know so I can make some adjustments and make y'all happy. Also, pop on over to iHeartRadio, Spotify, and iTunes and give me some comments and some five-star love there as well. Now, how it rolls here at The Curvy Critic is I always mix the interviews in with a little the interviews, the reviews end with a little interview action, usually from somebody from a film that is coming out this week or that is about to come out. And then I give you a little news on top of that and some things that you might want to check out in the theaters in addition to the regular narrative releases that come out. So let's get started. Um, Hobbs and Shaw, like I said in the intro, has rolled and slid into the box office making $181 million worldwide. Wide, y'all. That is a lot of money. <laughs> Ooh, I can't. Ooh, I'm getting hot just thinking about it. But it's doing really great. I'll talk about that film a little later. But right now, I want to talk about this reproductive rights in America for women and the safety of children let alone humanity, are at the forefront of two documentaries I'm covering today. The first one is called For Sama. It, is the, it was, rather, the Palme d'Or documentary winner at the Cannes Film Festival this year, a few months ago, and chronicles the war in Syria, specifically Aleppo, through the lens of an award-winning journalist director, Wad Al-Khattab, director Edward Watts, and Wad's husband, Hamza Al-Khattab. So... I recently sat down with them. We discussed the film. We discussed being parents. We discussed their film winning Big at Cannes. And we also discussed the meaning of justice and how that will be passed down to their daughter, Salma. Take a listen. This film is told from a mother and a female point of view. And I know that whenever these stories are told from a, from a completely solely male gaze it has a different spin on it mm. did you guys make that decision to do that on purpose why did you do it on you as opposed to someone else that you were filming why did you center it specifically on you you wanted Sama to see it from your point of view as she gets older was that the impetus for doing it yeah in it, that way yeah this is more about our generation mm. as like people who started the revolution mm -hmm. and they knew a lot of Syria before but mm -hmm. they had new new things about Syria mm -hmm. now it's more about it's yeah from me as a mom to Sama mm -hmm. but that's present all the women in Aleppo for their children okay it's more about how like because I feel I shoot it the five years 
I can explain in a lot of places, if you couldn't catch the emotion that it was in the footage, I can speak out a lot of things. Every mom in Aleppo has it, but I can say it. I can speak out with this. I can challenge all the new fears that I have in the process of making the film mm-hmm. and speak that things out. Mm-hmm. And just make it closer to the people and closer to the story itself. Yeah, and at the beginning, I didn't want to make it personally. I have the idea, but I don't want to put myself in the way that I'm saying the story. Right. Through the first conversation about the film and how we want to make it, all of us agree, even me, that that will make the film more engaging to people, to really be locked with one character. And like I was the one who take them, people, from On their the hands journey. to yeah. this journey with me to understand mm-hmm. what I went through. I have to tell you, I boohooed. I boohooed every single time I saw it. Mm. And the moment that tore me up every time I saw it was the moment where the woman was injured and was having the baby. And they were desperately performing CPR to revive the baby. Every time I saw that particular portion of the film, it broke my heart because I knew it was coming after I saw it the first time. But when I watched it the second and the third time and I saw that, I just would hold my breath and I would just be so grateful and so elated and so relieved that this child was going to be able to have a chance at life because Mm. the likelihood of the baby surviving was slim to none as it was for you, as it was for any of you. And for you, Hamza, to be a doctor in that situation and have eight out of the nine hospitals were destroyed, right? And you were like the main person. You said you had there was I think it was over 6,000 people that were injured that you treated. Just in 20 days. Yeah, yeah. How mentally did that affect you as a new dad, having to find new ways with no running water, no electricity, the hospitals being blown up. There was that one scene where there was a floor that was blown up on the top floor of the hospital and you guys were on the bottom part. What was your state of mind in that situation? Because it had to be really difficult. Of course it was difficult because feeling there are so many responsibilities on so many levels. Like feeling responsible for summer safety, feeling responsible for person I love or what safety, feeling responsible then for the hospital staff, it was 110 staff. Taking the decision about making the shift, you come today, you will not come tomorrow, everything. And then if something happened, like you'll, you'll feel responsible. Even when you said like someone home and on the way he was targeted or anything happened, still like felt my responsibility to deal with all of that. Then to make it worse at the end of the, the last 20 days, we were the only hospital there. And you can see that all the civilians at the city, there were 300,000 people were just looking to that place at their like salvation. They know that place will be always there, you know, for them. If anything, for, with, under all that chilling and the heart that they are living. So it's felt like possible for the patients because we were operating nearly, I don't know how much, but maybe 40 operation a day. Mm-hmm. And for putting those people in wards for valley hospitalization. Hospitalization. <laughs> hospitalization. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I got you. Correct it for you. <laughs> <laughs> like for maybe five days or four days in that dangerous place that we know it will be targeted on daily basis where they are helpless they can't move we can run for the basement we can like something happen a fire like happen for any like for the shelling we will run but those people in the intensive care unit or those 40 operation for their 40 person a day that will not be able to move until three days and you've seen as you said in the film like there was all the shelling happening that shell like might be in one of the patient's room 
or he was just sitting there, can't like to, to move. So all that like also felt like more responsibilities that I need also to find safe place for those people to, to, to put after the operation and all of that. But in, in the middle of all of this, seeing that baby, for example, that will make everything go away. That will like keep you there for another two years or three years, like waiting for this moment to happen again. And it's not like the first child that we, we rescued. There are so many other cases yes. that were not captured by a camera. But there are so many things like the, the last of the last scenes when the family with the few, the mother with the few, all the children, like seven children going in the ambulance away. And for those children, you know, to come to you and to like, thank you, doctor. I hope you'll make it safe. We'll see you in the, in the other side. That's just, you know, will, will keep you there forever. I live in Los Angeles where in South Compton or Compton or East L.A. or any suburb of Los Angeles County, even in St. Louis where I'm from, there are counties here that are almost comparable to being a war-torn country. And nobody does anything about it here. You know, they don't try to make rules where there's not guns readily available. Just two days ago at a garlic festival, yeah. people got oh, yeah, shot yeah. up. You know what I mean? By a white yeah. supremacist, they're saying. Exactly. So it's different for me as an American to watch what you guys presented on film. We see that on the news all the time. Right. And there was there was no way to feel anything other than the images that the news outlets here would, would allow you to see. But the three of you have allowed us in this form of cinema to see the truth of yeah. what really happens how taxing it is for the children in particular because at one point in the film they say the children have nothing to do with this and they don't yeah, yeah. you know children have no bias children have no hatred children are very amenable and they're mm. very pliable as human beings so I wanted to say all of that to say thank you for thank you so much thank you. Oh, oh my goodness it's totally my pleasure thank you for allowing people to see what it's really like because hopefully it will change hopefully Hopefully our government will be able to do something to, they weren't able to help Aleppo or Syria, but maybe in the future they'll be able to help someone else under a different administration, <laughs> yeah. help someone else. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I, I don't know a lot of people like if they knew had news about this or not, but the same situation. It was on the have, news here all the time. Yeah, I know, but like the same situation we have in Aleppo is still it's happening, happening now, right now. We as we speaking and like yesterday, the day before yesterday, there's a city called Idlib, mm -hmm. and this is all all the people who left Aleppo went to. And this city now is under shelling and bombing. And the last two months, more than 26 health facilities were targeted. More than 800 children being killed in the last four months. And just like still happening again and again, and by the Russian and by the Assad regime, and still like nothing. Today there was in the Security Council a briefing uh, from Physician for Human Rights. Yes. Uh, she was speaking about the situation right now in Idlib. And all the other countries, like, no one can say this is the Russian or this is Assad regime. Even just to, to recognize what's happening and who did this, everyone, like, just care about their, like, diplomatic issues and, you know, like, oh, target hospitals still being targeted. We recommend, like, for every, all the parties to calm down and not not do that stuff. Hospitals should be protected. And that's it. Absolutely. I, like, because, not, because the people have no place to, the people have no place to go. And of all the places that get attacked, 
or where bombs or shells are dropped, the hospital is the one place that should be protected because that's the only place where people can be treated for their um, injuries or whatever. It it should be a safe place just as a place of worship should be. You know what I mean? It should be respected for that. We really hear, you know, like in America, I think when being on this tour together, like all of us, this is Hamza's first time in America, my first time. Welcome. All of our first time in L.A. and stuff. And we've been so shocked to see... Like in Washington, you know, we went to Congress and then round the corner you see like incredible poverty one block away from the Congress building. That's what and I was you, saying. It's you see ridiculous. the suffering in the States and I think the only thing we can say from this film is like the way that people are responding. You know, it feels like There's people hope. are beginning right. to yeah. engage now and people are beginning to say we can't just turn a blind eye, whether it's to people in a far off country or people down our street, you know. Maybe that's me being naive, but no, 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 I've no, sort no, of got no, this no, sense of like no, it's hope, you care. know. It's like what I said, there's there's hope. You guys, there's this image at the end where your baby is holding that pink sign that says for justice. In this moment right now, now that this film has been wrapped, now that your baby out there, so to speak, is out there for people to watch, to judge, to do whatever they're going to do, what is justice for you now? After having gone through everything that you've gone through, what is justice for you the right now? The first thing, no, stop bombing hospitals. Like, this is not even justice, you know. This is the first step of just start the conversation about what this world it, it will be. Because targeting Please. hospitals now is acceptable, and tomorrow it will be in another place, and no one will give anything about this. It's more about, if we want to speak about accountability, mm-hmm. if we want to speak about the justice that we needed to people, First, like Assad and Russia should be like out of this country. This is the first basic things. People and other refugees around the world to be back. We have detainees in Assad prisons. No one knows how many. And here in the U.S., there's like Caesar photos, mm-hmm. 11,000 pictures from yeah. people who were like tortured to death in Assad prisons. And a lot of people, they don't know what about their like disappearances people. Where are they? What's happening? It's very long, huge um, steps of start speaking about the justice. And before speaking about the justice, we need Assad and Russia to be out, stop bombing hospitals, stop bombing everything, make all the detainees out from the prisons and let all the refugees to come back. And then we start... And then hold accountable for the crimes that happened. Well, there are so many steps to get to to reach this point because at the moment there are more crimes are happening in the past... Three months. Like the update I have is 26 health facilities were targeted, but mm-hmm. the, the latest one I heard, like from April, just more than three months, uh, around 40 health facilities were targeted in in Idlib, mm-hmm. and like it's still happening, it's still going on. In the last three months, more than 800 children were killed only in this area. So, like before justice, let's just stop having another war crimes, and then justice will happen sooner or later. We, we like we've seen like these the war crimes that happen in uh, in Bosnia that. Just mm-hmm. take justice maybe 15 years mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we uh, just fight to live to, to reach that day. I wanted to thank you guys for, you so for um, taking some time out All to right. talk to me. I was really very moved. Congratulations on winning the prize at Cannes. Thank, thank you, you so um, much. And I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and thank get the word out there as much as thank I can so much. at thank Black you. Hollywood Live um, about the film so that we can see y'all ride this all the way to the Academy Awards. He's like, oh, don't say that. No, I'm telling you, dude, because I watch a lot of movies. I don't know, maybe 20, 25 movies in a week. Right. A week. A week. Lucky you. A week. (laughs) Sometimes five, six, seven in a day. Wow. What I look for, first and foremost, is something that resonates with my heart. Mm. That 
sticks with me long after the credits have rolled, long after I've walked out of a theater, long after I have talked about the film. If I can sit and still remember what I saw three months later, because I saw this film three months ago wow. initially, and then I just saw it, you know, again, right. just to remind myself what I saw. But, and with the different demographics, as I, as I had mentioned before. But yeah, I, I feel like this one has very strong legs. I feel like it's very important for people to see it. I feel like it has a very strong message. I'm really grateful that the three of you are running around, Thank you know, you. trying to get the word out <laughs> oh on it. Oh my because God. you're the first person who's actually <laughs> said it's like that. It's important. It's Thank important. You. I mean, this is not just about a war. It's not just about children. It's not just about Aleppo. It's not just about South Central or or London or yeah. D.C. It's about human beings. Yeah, it's about exactly. human lives. It it's really about is. human rights. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's about the future. So yeah. Oh, well, you're the warmest interview uh, yeah. we've had for oh. a very long time. So oh. thank, thank you. Thanks thank a lot you so for that. We That's how I roll. I don't know what to say. Well, good on you. <laughs> I loved talking to Edward and Hamza and Wad about Forsama, especially because we are experiencing a little bit of domestic terrorism right here in America in the last couple of days with the shootings in El Paso and in Ohio. And not not to like I said in the in the interview, the one at the Garlic Festival right here, you know, in our own backyard in California. Um, I don't know how they handle guns in those countries and the right to have a gun there. You know, clearly it must be a really easy issue. But for here, I feel like there needs to be some type of gun reform happening because this is becoming a regular occurrence. I'm getting exhausted at waking up every other day, every other week every other month to the news of a mass shooting. So now we can't we can't go to a festival, we can't go to a movie theater, we can't go to Walmart. It's getting ridiculous. And and the people that have the guns, some of them are mentally ill and some of them are not. Some of them are very well aware of what they're doing. And that's not even the point. The point is everybody shouldn't be running around with access to a gun. That's the bottom line. But I digressed. I just wanted to acknowledge that because I would be remiss in my duty as a human being to not acknowledge the loss of life due to gun violence when we have people in other countries, war-torn countries, where that's their regular, that's their day-to-day, that's their that's their new normal, and it's becoming a new normal here, and I don't want it to continue to be that. So. Having said that, Forsama is an excellent, excellent, excellent documentary. You want to check it out. It is produced by PBS. It was released into theaters on July 26th. I'm not sure if it's in art house theaters or if it has national distribution, but if you check your local listings of your movie theaters where you live, I'm sure you'll be able to find that out. All right. Well, the next one up is a film called One Child Nation. Now, One Child Nation is the film. I talked about reproductive rights right before I introduced Forsama, but One Child Nation is the one that's actually dealing with reproductive rights. Um, So America is not the first country to have this reproductive rights issue. You know, recently we've been going through this thing with Planned Parenthood, and they're trying to take Planned Parenthood out. They're trying to, you know, put restrictions on abortion. A lot of the—almost half of the states in the country have banned abortion, closed the clinics, and all that madness. But before any of that was an issue here— In the 90s, yeah, in the 90s, it was an issue in China, and they instituted a rule called the one-child rule, which basically meant 
every family in China was limited to reproducing one child. If you, in fact, had more than one child, you could be jailed, your house could be bombed and destroyed, your children could be snatched away from you. In some instances, they were. They were put in orphanages. Some people abandoned their children and left them out for you know, someone else to find them and give them a good home. Some of them made their way to America. And One Child Nation centers on that whole situation that happened between 1992 and 2015 and is told from the point of view of a female filmmaker named Nan Fu Wang, who grew up in China under that regime. And now she is a mother with two children of her own that she did not have in China. She had outside of China and came back to her country to see how this rule no longer existing, because I said it was abolished in 2015, to see how this rule is now affecting families, knowing that they could have, you know, fought, because her parents fought to have two children in their family. She has a brother, but she spent her whole entire life being ashamed of the fact that she had a brother. She would go to school, and she was the only kid that had a brother because of the one-child policy. So there's that. Um she goes back, she interviews activists, she interviews government officials, doctors, and family members. And the thing that stuck out to me about this documentary is there was one moment where she went to interview a doctor, and the doctor couldn't tell you, she couldn't remember how, she was asked, how many births do you think you, how many children do you think you delivered? And she couldn't remember how many children she delivered, but she specifically remembered how many children she had aborted. And it was between 50 to 60,000 because there was a rule saying that you couldn't have more than one child. And it, and there's a difference between the government saying you can't have more than one child and you not having more than one child due to economic circumstances or circumstances beyond your control, like being raped or something like that. So... I say all that to say that I feel like both of these documentaries, For Sama and One Child Nation, really need to be seen in tandem because they address two issues that were that are going on right here in America, in the United States, that we deal with on a daily basis. They're thought-provoking, they're insightful, they're educational, and they are definitely a must-see, both of them. You can catch One Child Nation on Amazon Studios. It opens in theaters and can stream live on Amazon on August 9th. August 9th. My mouth is betraying me for some reason. <laughs> Let me go back to the chat room and just acknowledge my peeps as I always do. Michael B., Marlon Wallace, and Yasna. Yes, thank you for being there and for supporting me and, you know, spread the word. Let folk know that your girl is over here at Black Hollywood Live trying to, you know, change people's minds one film at a time. <laughs> All right. Um, the next film I saw was a film called After the Wedding. It stars Academy Award winner Julianne Moore, Academy Award nominee Michelle Williams, and that's all you really need to know about these this film. It's starring these two women, and they're fantabulous. Every scene that they're in together absolutely scorches the screen, and I'm all for it. But these two women, one is a director of an Indian orphanage. That would be Michelle Williams' character. The other one, Julianne Moore, is a high-profile CEO. She's a huge business mogul, and they end up meeting by happenstance when Julianne Moore's character brings Michelle Williams over to discuss giving money to this orphanage. And then they both discover that not only do they have a man in common, but they have a child in common. And I don't want to say how they have the child in common, because then I'll be telling you all the movie and then you wouldn't want to go see it. But what I will say is that um, 
it's discover it's the discovery of all of this that comes at their relationship with the a fantabulous performance with Billy Crudup. Actually, all of the ladies and Billy Crudup are giving really wonderful, phenomenal performances in this film. Um, when they realize that the common thread is him and how it all came to be, that's when shenanigans get real real and things start to pop off. Um, it is produced by Magnolia Pictures, and it also opens on August 9th. Now, if you have been a little kid of a certain age in America, you grew up with Dora the Explorer. There's no way that you didn't. I mean, you know that little song? I can't. Even, I don't even want to sing the song because I don't want to mess it up. But that Dora the Explorer song, when you go see Dora and the Lost City of Gold and that song pops off, you are going to lose your mind, just like the audience did that I saw it with when I watched it with them. And we know that Dora the Explorer was based on a beloved Nickelodeon anim- animated series that features a Latina character. Yay, Latina! Um, it At its height, it was in 141 countries around the world and syndicated in 151 markets. That's a lot of markets. Dora the Explorer, the TV series, was honored with awards including the Peabody, the NAACP, P, the um, Imagine, the Latino Spirit Award, the Gracie Allen Award, Parents' Choice Awards, the Television Critics Association Award, 18 Daytime Emmy nominations, and one Emmy Daytime Emmy Award win out of those 18 nominations. In this incarnation, it's a live action version, and it stars Isabella Monar as Dora, and she looks exactly like if you were going to envision Dora being a live action person, Isabella would be her. She's got so much energy. She's so vivacious. She's so wonderfully entertaining to watch. I loved her. Eva Longoria and Michael Pena play her parents. They are pure comedy, hysterical every time they are together in the scene. And the three of them together, you believe that they're a family every second that you see them. It's really, really um it's entertaining. It's entertaining. It's going to be very nostalgic for those who remember Dora and have an affection for that story, for that show. It is beautifully shot, beautifully directed by James Bobbin. And the bottom line is, if you loved Dora the Explorer on Nickelodeon, you're going to love the movie. You're really going to love the movie. It's beautifully shot. There are some scenes that are just like, wow, they shot it like that. It's really gorgeous. It, it kind of There's an element of it that's kind of like Indiana Jones for a second. And when you see it, you'll see exactly what I mean. But it's produced by Paramount Pictures in conjunction with Nickelodeon. And it also opens in theaters on August 9th. The Peter Peanut Butter Falcon stars Shia LaBeouf. Dakota Johnson, and a young man that I just kind of love. His name is Zach Gotsigan. I hope I pronounced his name right. Zach Gotsigan. He is pure comedy. Now, there's a lot of um, films that I've seen, few far and in between, that deal with people that have disabilities or special needs. And I mean, when I say that, I mean people that may be deaf, people that or have Down syndrome, people that have Asperger's, you know, like Rain Man, um, films of that nature. This is a film, Peanut Butter Falcon, is a film where the lead character is a Down syndrome character. 
He is not portrayed as a victim. He is not portrayed as stupid. He is not portrayed as someone with special needs. He is portrayed as a person, a young man that has a dream of going to learn how to wrestle with the sweet water redneck in in Florida. And he is going to get there and have his dream come to fruition by any means necessary when he runs into Tyler, who's played by Shia LaBeouf. And the two of them end up going on a self-discovery adventure together. It's a, I would say it's definitely the sweetest, most heartwarming film of the year. It's just sweet. There's a little bit of it that's a little slow. You know, I always say that. There's always some moment in the movie, unless I really, 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 really liked it, that's a little slow for me. And in the middle, it kind of dipped a little. But having said that, I feel like in general, it's a cute, loving story about acceptance um, and the family that you choose and the family that you're born into. And that's a real thing for anybody that doesn't have a real tight-knit biological or family that you, you know, are genealogically attached to. So it's between the family you choose and the family that you're born into. It also stars Dakota Johnson, who plays Eleanor, and Thomas Hayden Church as the saltwater redneck wrestler. He's pure comedy, but I love him. He's pure comedy in anything that he's in. It's produced by Roadside Attractions, and it hits theaters also on August 9th. The Art of Racing in the Rain is produced by 20th Century Fox. And, you know, there's been this recent takeover with 20th Century Fox with Disney. So Disney acquired 20th Century Fox. So now they're trying to figure out that struggle of when they have a Fox title that's going to be released, how to tie it in with Disney. And I think they did a really good job with The Art of Racing in the Rain. Um, It deals with, well, before I get into that, I think I've mentioned this here before, but I had a little Maltese. His name was Spanky, and he had been sick for many years, and he finally succumbed to his illness on March 27th. So whenever there's a title that involves a dog or centers around a pet, I'm always now a little leery of seeing it or watching it in a theater full of people because I'm afraid I might break down, it'll be a thing, and I just don't want to embarrass myself or make the people around me uncomfortable. So my mother and I made a conscious decision to go see the art of racing in the rain as part of our guilt, not guilt, um, grief process in dealing with the loss of our beloved Spanky. And yeah, I did. I broke into the ugly cry in my seat and I wasn't the only one. So in that respect, I felt <laughs> I felt like it was okay because I wasn't the only one looking a blubber. I was such a blubbering snotty mess that people behind me to the right, to the left and in front of me were handing me tissues. It was awful. But The Art of Racing in the Rain deals with this family whose lives center around the the patriarch who's played by Milo Ventimiglia. I always mess up his name, but you know, the dude from This Is Us. (laughs) Um, He's the dad and he meets this woman and his whole life is told by narrative through the voice of the dog, which is done by Kevin Costner and the dog's name is Enzo. Y'all, this movie is going to wear you out, but it, it's a beautiful film, beautifully and very tastefully done. And it um, sets the scene for, you know, what is sacrifice? Do you sacrifice your dreams for yourself? Do you sacrifice them for your family? Do you sacrifice them for your pet? What is sacrifice? And it's a really good lesson to learn. It's a beautiful film. I really enjoyed it. It also stars Amanda Seyfried and, like I said, Kevin Costner as the voice of Enzo. So, funny story. As I'm at the screening, um, they they whenever you go to a Hollywood screening, 
They bring the director out. Direct, the director talks about his process with the film. He introduces and acknowledges his producers and his, his crew and his staff, the, any of them that happen to be at the premiere. And then he introduces the stars of the film. <laughs> they all come out and then they kind of walk them down off the stage and they go into the audience to sit in their seats or they leave, whichever one they choose. So this particular day, they brought Kevin Costner out and he was standing there in front of me like I was in the second row on the aisle with my mom and I heard him say I don't even know where I'm sitting and my crazy self was like um you can sit right here Kevin Costner <laughs> hello I'm right here he lo- and I was really loud and my mother was mortified and she he looked down and he looked at my mother and realized that my mother wasn't the loud one it was me he cracked up and then he kind of just went on his way it was pure comedy but I could not review this film and tell you about it without telling you that story let me see what's going on in this chat room because I know y'all got plenty to say. Let's see what's been going on. Um, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Hello from Richmond. Oh, hi. Hi, Marcus Terry. It's nice to have you here. Good to see you. The director is Julianne Moore's husband. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he is. He is her husband for After the Wedding. That's absolutely right. All right, so... Let's move on to the one I know y'all really want to hear about, and I saved lots of time for this one. Hobbs and Shaw, Furious, Furious, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Listen, I just got one thing to say about Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, Idris Elba. That's all I'm going to say. And I know every woman in America is all about some Idris Elba, but when I tell you Hobbs and Shaw is worth seeing for a variety of reasons, um, but the major one for me was that leather suit that Idris Elba was sharing. <laughs> Just saying, he was up in that joint. Just saying. And I digress. But let me finish talking about the movie. Um, he's playing a villain, Brixton, and he's giving me black Superman and Iron Man all in one, in one embodiment. That's what Idris Elba is giving you in Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Vanessa Kirby, you guys may remember her from playing Queen Elizabeth's sister in The Crown, and she was also in Mission Impossible Fallout, giving you badass moves there as a spy, and she's giving you badass moves in Hobbs and Shaw as a spy. And frankly, Idris Elba and Vanessa Kirby, they steal the movie from The Rock and Jason. They really do. But the Fast and Furious franchise has become known to be this, you know, film with fast cars, fabulous stunts, lots and lots of action, and you won't be remiss in getting that. But you will also get a little bit of the heritage of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. His Samoan heritage has been seamlessly infused into the film. It's a wonderful tribute to his background, letting you know, yep, this is what I am all day long, every day. I appreciated that. I appreciated the fact that he always has a child in the movie with him that is his kid. They all and he has such a good relationship with children in films. I would really like to see him playing more dads because he's just so endearing and wonderfully sweet and charming when he does it. But this film is the bomb.com. I really enjoyed it. I know some people that I spoke to weren't crazy about it because, you know, they were like, wah, wah, wah. but this is different than the other Fast and Furious movies because it centers on two of the characters from the original franchise. And let's be real, when Paul Walker unexpectedly lost his life, they had to figure out real quick how to reinvigorate this franchise and still keep the fans interested. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm a fan that's still interested and I enjoyed it. So there's that. Um, you can find that in theaters again 
I think you can find it right now. And if not, it's on August 9th. But I think you can, it's in theaters right now. I think it was released on August 2nd. All right. So now, the 34th anniversary of Weird Science. This is a movie that falls, it's by the same person that did Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and all those movies, the fabulous John Hughes. This is another one of his films. And it's kind of like, I think the star of the film, uh, Kelly LeBrock said it best. It's kind of like Mary Poppins with boobs. That's what Weird Science is. And it's celebrating its 34th anniversary this year. Um, Some quick facts about it. It starred Kelly LeBrock and Anthony Michael Hall. It was um, based on an anthology comic book series published in the 1950s by William Gaines and his company EC Comics, which also ironically published Tales from the Crypt and Mad Magazine, which I think is no longer in existence or it's about to go out of existence. The plot of the film is loosely based on the story of Made of the Future by L. Al Feldstein from the fifth issue and um, Kelly LeBrock's character Lisa so basically if you've never seen this film Lisa is like these two boys get together to create like their version of Frankenstein which is Mary Poppins with boobs in the embodiment of Kelly LeBrock that's what it is and they have these they have these bras on their head it's pure comedy it's so funny Bill Paxton is in the movie he plays his older brother and he's just Hysterical, just hysterical. But Kelly LeBrock's character named Lisa was based on Apple Computer's first computer, which was called Lisa. Um, John Hughes, and she released this in John Hughes's documentary "Don't Forget About Me," which came out in two thousand nine. In an interview at Comic Con, she also Kelly LeBrock also uh, revealed that when she did the kissing scene with the fourteen year old Ian Mitchell Smith, he got a little carried away and slipped her little tongue down her throat. Can you imagine? She's a grown woman. And he's like, hey, let me let me let me take advantage of this whole opportunity. She said afterwards, she told him, if you ever do that again, I'm going to kick your behind. So there's that. But I just wanted to let you guys know about the 34th anniversary of Weird Science. If you haven't seen it and Lord knows in this world that we live in, we need a little kiki ha 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 and a, a reason to chuckle. And that film will have you cracking up from the beginning of the frame until the last. On August 6th, you guys. I Love Lucy is having a huge celebration sponsored by Fathom Events. So what Fathom Events is doing is on August 6th, they are putting in certain theaters around the country, and you can go to fathomevents.com to find out where, but they're taking five of the most iconic I Love Lucy episodes and putting them up on the big screen. And those episodes are Lucy Does a TV Commercial. It's the one where Lucy has angled her way into Ricky's special as the show's pitch girl. They're showing job switching where Lucy and Ethel go to work in the candy factory. You know, the one where the conveyor belt is there and they're like, at first they're kind of just like slowly eating the candy and then they're like eating more candy than they can stick in their mouth. Pure comedy. They're, they're going to show LA at last where Lucy goes to the Brown Derby restaurant, which no longer exists. But it was, if you have been to Hollywood recently or you come here sometime soon, the Brown Derby restaurant was not too far away from the McDonald's that's right across the street from where the Dolby Theater is and the Hollywood Highland Complex. It's like a block and a half away from there on the opposite side of the street. So that's where the Brown Derby was. It was a really famous restaurant that everybody used to go and, and have dinner with. But she goes to the Brown Derby restaurant where she sees William Holden and her sighting him turns into a whole thing. But it's pure comedy. They're also going to show the million dollar idea where Lucy and Ethel go into a business making 
salad dressing based on Lucy's Aunt Martha's recipe. And of course, the pioneer women were the girls revolt over housework and want modern conveniences. The boys bet that they can survive longer than the girls without using anything invented after the 1900s, including electricity. So you can only imagine how hysterical that's going to be. Also wanted to let you know about something. I'm always letting you know about something that streams on Netflix because I feel like I live on Netflix. But I will try to expand my horizons and begin to let you know about some things that are on Amazon Prime and Hulu and some other streaming services as well. But in this moment, I want to tell you about Otherhood, which stars my girl Angela Bassett and Felicity Huffman. They're having empty nest syndrome. Their boys are gone. Mother's Day is rolling around. And they're like, I miss my son. And they decide that they want to go visit their sons for Mother's Day. And it's a whole thing. Because if you are an adult and your mother comes to live with you or comes to visit you, it's a whole thing because you have to adjust your way of life because it's your mom. Like, you're not trying to, like, you know, pop off and be crazy and wild out in front of your mother. So that in itself is a recipe for pure comedy. And, um, of course, I spoke last week and played an interview here last week that I did with Kelvin Harrison Jr., Julius Ona, from their film Loose. Loose is going to be in theaters right... Is it right now? I think it's right now. It's No, no, no. It opens... Yeah, it, yo, it's in theaters right now, August 2nd. It opened in theaters August 2nd. I think it's going to have a nationwide release on August 9th. It is the must-see movie of the year. If you don't see any other movie, I promise you, you really want to see Loose. Because it's a fantabulous film. Fantabulous film. I absolutely adored it and loved it. <sighs> and that... I think, let me see, what else? Did I have anything else to tell y'all? I think I pretty much ran through everything. Ooh, oh, no, I got some news. So I wanted to tell you that Gal Gadot is going to be playing Hedy Lamar for Showtime. If you don't know who Hedy Lamar is, Hedy Lamar was a huge, huge popular starlet in the 1930s in Hollywood, and she is responsible for that GPS that you use on your phone, that Google Maps, and for Wi-Fi. So you can thank being able to access the internet and being able to use Google Maps. You can thank Hedy Lamar for that. And she was also a spy, so there's that. But um, Gal Gadot, our own Wonder Woman, is going to be playing that. There was a big upheaval earlier in the year about Fast Color, the movie that is now being made into an Amazon series, being produced by Juvie Productions, which is run by Viola Davis, Oscar winner Viola Davis and her husband Julian that is coming up um Lynn Manuel Miranda and Norman Lear have paired up to do a documentary on PBS about Oscar winner Rita Rita Moreno if you are not familiar with her she is the woman who won the Oscar for playing Anita in West Side Story she's been on numerous TV series as of late including the reboot, the Latin reboot of One Day at a Time um, that Norman Lear also produced. There was some drama about... There's been a lot of conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this week, like way too much for me. But there was a, a... story about the Bruce Lee protege who commented on Once Upon a Time, and he basically said that he worked with Bruce Lee. He was one of three people that Bruce Lee trained to do martial arts at the time, including himself, and that Bruce Lee would have never disparaged disparaged the name or the memory or the legacy of Muhammad Ali as his character does in that film. Um, Shannon Lee, his daughter, said that she didn't feel like it, it was. She felt like her father's memory was dishonored. So I'm sure we're going to hear a whole lot of stuff about that. If as, I could jump in real yes, quick on please, this story right now, yes, out. because uh, 
uh, knowing who uh, Dan Asanto is, who is a protege of Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. yeah, just hearing ma- many stories about um, how Bruce Lee was very respectful to anyone he's trained with. I mean, Bruce Lee trained with everyone from the, the greats of uh, martial arts, including Ed Parker of American Kenpo Karate, uh, Gene LaBelle of Judo, and then, of course, uh, training a little bit with uh, Muhammad Ali as well, and just some boxing orientation. And so... Yeah, in every interview or any stories that you hear, it's just you always hear the one thing and it's just always common threaded everywhere. Bruce Lee was always so respectful to anyone he's ever trained with. So just hearing that, you know, the certain depiction was uh, him just like, uh, I guess, running down certain people like that. It's just never a cool thing, especially within the martial arts community. Mm-hmm. That is a big, big no-no. For that. Yeah, it is a big no-no. And it's all, you always tread thin water when you are not attacking, but when you are challenging someone's memory that is icon- as iconic as someone like Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is iconic not only in the Asian community, but in the film community, in the martial arts community. Like, he's just I- in the the, Jap- the Chinese-Japanese community. He's just huge. He's huge. No matter what page you turn, no matter what lane he's in, he's huge. And so you're always treading thin water when you, when you do that. So, thank you, Josh, for jumping in and um, adding that for me, because I, I would have wanted to say that so I appreciate you for, for doing that um, in the chat room they're like yeah weird science was the ish yes it was y'all know it was that's why I had to let you know what time it was with that because I loved it um, so that is my time y'all I'm going to check the chat room one more time and just give y'all a shout out Marcus Terry, Michael B, Marlon Wallace, Yasna and anybody else that I missed. And just an extra uh, special shout out to Michael B, who uh, pinpoint the exact same joke I was thinking of. I keep flashing back to Blazing Saddles when I hear Hedy Lamar's name. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> he joke. He did in say that. that. Michael B. Michael B. always got jokes. He, co- he comes over to the GH report and he got jokes over there too. I love him though. It's all good. But thanks for pointing that out. So, you guys, next week. When I come back with episode 72 of The Curvy Critic, we're going to be talking about Angry Birds 2. And I'll have a special interview with Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us. I'm telling you, this is an interview. If you've ever missed any of my shows, you really don't want to miss this one because it is pure comedy. And he is giving me something that I know he didn't give anybody else. Why? Because we are homegirls and homeboys. He's from St. Louis, Missouri, and so am I. So there'll be that. And I'll also review Blinded by the Light, the Bruce Springsteen film. Good Boys, and I'll be talking about the African American Film Critics Association TV honors, which will be popping off earlier in that day, right before I pop in here. So I'll give you the latest news on that too. So until the next time, this is your girl, Carla Renata, aka the Curvy Film Critic. You can catch me right after this over at After Buzz TV doing the GH report. Don't forget, if you've never been here before, please give me some five stars over on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And give me a big old thumbs up on YouTube to let me know you was here and that you support a sister. But until the next time, I will catch you next week. And love, peace, and hair grease, y'all. Bye. On behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood Redefined.